triple fireless study of the famous Dr. Watson, who's relating his delightful Sherlock Holmes adventure. Good evening, Doctor. You look a bit irritated, if you'll pardon my saying. Good evening, Mr. Manning. Good evening. Yes, I am a bit annoyed, and with good reason. I don't know if I've told you that Holmes has been listening in to these reminiscences. Well, here's the letter I received for him after last week's story. Read it. All right. My dear Watson, I noticed that in your last broadcast, you gave way to your regrettable habit of emotionalizing your story. Detection, my dear fellow, is or ought to be an exact science. To tinge it with romanticism is like introducing a love story into the fifth proposition of Euclid. As ever, Sherlock Holmes. Well, what do you think of that? But the emotion was there. You couldn't tamper with the truth. Holmes has always maintained that the truth is not in what you say, but in the impression you create in the other person's mind. <laughs> well... Holmes always complained that I overstressed the, uh, the human element in recording his cases. How well I remember the attitude with which he received the publishing of my first book about his adventures. It was a cold morning in early spring. He was sitting on either side of a cheery fire in our rooms in Baker Street. A thick fog rolled down between the dun-colored houses. Our gas was lit. It shone on the white cloth and glimmered on the coffee cups and on the silver. The breakfast table had not yet been cleared away. Holmes had been silent all the morning, smoking his long, cherrywood pipe, which usually displaced his favorite clay when he was in a disputatious mood. Altogether, he was not in the best of tempers. confounded fog. What happens to all the matches in this house, I'd like to know. My dear Holmes, why not use the tongs and a live coal if you want to relight your pipe? Huh? Oh! I burned myself. For ah. heaven's sake, Holmes, stop oh. stopping. Something's annoying you. Why not get it off your chest? It's that confounded book of yours. What? Sensationalism, Watson. Rank sensationalism. You're always placing the emphasis on the crime. Crime is common, logic is rare. You should stress the logic. You have degraded what should have been a course of lectures into a series of tales. Now, really, Holmes, that's not logical. You're always complaining that crime is falling off. You say there are no first-class criminals left. Quite. And therefore, if you depend on the crime to hold your readers, you will soon be a back number. Criminals. Bah! They've lost all their enterprise and originality. My practice seems to be degenerating into an agency for recovering lost lead pencils and giving good advice to young ladies from boarding school. <laughs> Advice to the love lord, eh? Well, look at this. This note, it came by the morning, this morning's post. Here. The last thought, that's what it is reading. Well, here, let's have a look. Dear Mr. Holmes, I'm very anxious to consult you as to whether I should or I should not accept the situation which has been offered me as a governess. Well, I shall call at half past ten tomorrow if I do not inconvenience you. Yours faithfully, Violet Hunter. Where is you? Oh, it's 11 now. Exactly. She's late. Just like a woman. Uh, I say, Holmes, this is for your young lady now, walking briskly up the street. I see. Hmm. Brisk, purposeful manner. Nice, bright, intelligent face. Yes, it is. She's stopping at our door. Yeah, maybe something in this case after all, my dear Watson. She's not the uh, hysterical sort that makes a fuss over nothing. 
Thank you. Come in. How do you do? This is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Quite. And um, this is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do? How do you do? I trust you'll excuse my troubling you, Mr. Holmes, but I've had a very strange experience. And as I have no relations of any sort to advise me, I thought I'd best come to you. I shall be very happy to do anything that I can. Well, I... I've been a governess for five years in the family of Colonel Kent Monroe. He's been transferred to Nova Scotia so that for the last few months I've been without a situation. Well, I advertised and answered advertisements, but without success. You see, the money I had saved began to run out, and I was at my wit's end. Indeed, indeed. Well, go on. Well, yesterday I called in at a well-known employment agency run by a Miss Stoker. When I arrived, the outer office was filled with young ladies looking for situations. I, I was told to wait. But I did so. After about half an hour, my name was called out. Well, the door to Miss Stoker's private office was ajar. She could decide it was a prodigiously stout man with a round, smiling face and a heavy chin. Oh, his eyes were like two little slits. When I advanced to the door, my knees trembling. Oh, Mr. Holmes, if you know how I needed that work. Come in, my dear. Come in. Mr. Newcastle. This is Miss... Uh, oh, what is your name, my dear? Miss Hunter. Violet Hunter. Oh, yes. Miss Hunter. Oh, capital, capital. I couldn't ask for anything better. I'm sure you'll do, Miss Hunter. Oh, I hope so, Mr. Richard. You're looking for a situation as a governess? Yes, sir. And, and what salary do you are? Well, I, I had four pounds a month in my last place. Four pounds? Sweating. Rank sweating. How anyone could have the audacity to offer that to a lady with such a question, such accomplishment. A lady fitted for the rearing of a child who may someday play a considerable part in the history of this country. Uh, your salary with me, madam, will commence at one hundred pounds a year. A hundred? Oh, Mr. Rucastle. And furthermore, it is my custom to advance my young ladies half their salary beforehand. May, may I ask where you live, Mr. Rucastle? Hampshire, the charming rural spot. Oh. The Copper Beaches is the name of the place five miles north of Winchester. Oh, the dearest old house. And and what would be my duty? One child. A dear little romp for age six. Oh, if you could see him killing cockroaches with a slipper. Please, John, before you should wait. <laughs> my sole duty, then, is to take care of this child. Well, I, I, I'm sure your good sense would suggest that you obey any little commands which my wife might give, provided, of course, that they were such as a lady might obey with propriety. You see no difficulty. Yeah. Oh, I should be happy to make myself useful. Oh, by the way, in dress, for example, we're fatty people. Fatty but kind-hearted. Now, now, if you were asked to wear a particular dress that we might give you, 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 you wouldn't object to our little whim. Oh, no. Or to sit here or there, that wouldn't be offensive to you. Why no? Or to cut your hair short before you come to it. My... My hair? Oh, yes, it is quite essential. It's a little fancy of my wife, you see. And Lady Francis, my dear, and it's Hunter Master, it's insulted. But my, <laughs> my, my hair. Oh, no, I, I know I couldn't. No, oh, oh, what a pity. Well, in that case, Miss Stoper, I'd best inspect a few more of your young ladies. Good day, then, Miss Hunter. 
I'm afraid you must consider yourself stuck from Alice. Oh, but you can hardly expect us to exert ourselves to find another such opening for you. But, Miss Stoper. Good day, Miss Hunter. Oh, oh, just a minute, Miss Stoper. Uh, let's not be too hard on the young lady. After all, my request was a little sudden. Uh, perhaps, Miss Hunter, you'd like 24 hours in which to consider the matter. Uh, and in view of the fact that you have particularly beautiful hair, uh, I might be willing to raise the salary to £120 a year. Oh, you can recompense you for our electricity. Unusual, most unusual, my dear Miss Hunter. Uh, what do you make of it, Watson? Perhaps the gentleman's wife is a lunatic and he wishes to humor her in her fancy in order to prevent an outbreak. Possibly, Watson. Possibly. In any case, it doesn't seem a nice household for a young lady. But the money, Mr. Holmes, is the money, and I need it so. Well, yes, the pay is good. Too good. Why should they give you 120 pounds when they can have their fix for 40? There must be some strong reason. But I have no choice. Then uh, you've made up your mind to accept? Yes, I must. I thought if I told you the circumstances, you would understand afterwards if I wanted your help. Mr. Holmes, I should feel so much stronger if I knew you were behind me. Uh, certainly you may carry that feeling away with you. And if at any time you should find yourself in danger... Danger? Well, what danger could there be? My dear Miss Hunter, you could cease to be a danger if we could define it. But remember, at any time, day or night, just telegraph me and we'll come to your help. Oh, oh, of course. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. Thank you. Pretty good at the copper beaches, or, or we'd have heard from her. You never know, Watson. You never know. She may not be able to get to a telegraph office. Nonsense, huh? Nothing very dreadful can happen out in the open country like this. Well, that's where you're wrong, Watson. My experience that the vilest alleys in London do not present a more dreadful record of sin than does the smiling, beautiful countryside. Oh, you, you mean creep? What do you mean? The pressure of public opinion is greatest in the towns. There is no lane so vile that the scream of a tortured child or the thud of a drunkard's blow does not beget sympathy and assistance from the neighbors. But the countryside, my dear Watson, filled with its lonely houses. Think of the hellish cruelty, the hidden wickedness. Life may go on year in, year out in such places, and no one the wiser. Had our young friend gone to Winchester, I should not have had this uh, fear for her safety. It's the five miles of country which makes the danger. Uh, I'll see what it is, Watson. Oh, thank you, Mr. Gilbert. It's a telegram to you, though. Oh, give it to me. It's Tommy Hunter. Oh, well, what's he say? Come at once. We'll meet you at the Black Swan Hotel Winchester at three this afternoon. Abbott, my wits, then don't tell me. What do you suppose is happening? Hurry, Watson. There's no time to lose. There's a train from Waterloo Station in half an hour. If we can only get to her in time. In just a moment, we will follow Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson on their strange journey. 
Yes, there's the black swan. Opposite the station. Yes, and if I'm not mistaken, that's Mrs. Uh, that's Mrs. Miss Hunter waiting for us on the doorstep. She looks a bit pale and shaky, I eh, hope. Yes. Poor girl is obviously frightened. Mr. Holmes, so kind of you to come. You too, Dr. Watson. Oh, no, it's all strange. I'll tell you how I'm just... I'll tell you how I'm just... There, there, there. Now, Miss Hunter, perhaps if we go inside, they can give us a private sitting room. Yes, Mr. Holmes. I've ordered tea this way. Ah, yes, that's better. Nice, cozy fire. Uh, close the door, will you, Watson? Oh, that's right. Now then. Well, you let the doctor do the pouring while you tell the story. First of all, um, how do you like the tea? Uh, two lunches of little tea. Oh, I right, oh. Thank you, Dr. Watson. Yes, and uh, now? Well, well, first of all, I've had no, no actual ill treatment from Mr. and Mrs. Newcastle, but things are frightening me. However, I had best begin at the beginning. Yes, that is generally a good place to start. Well, Mr. Holmes... Papa Beaches is a large, pinnacle-looking house, almost completely surrounded by woods. It's impressive. From the moment of my arrival, I was met at the door by Mr. Wilcox and his wife. And, uh, is she... No, Mr. She's not married. I see. She's a small, pale-faced woman, much younger than Mr. Wilcox. In fact, I gathered the creature's second wife. She was seated as a daughter by the first marriage. A girl now over 20, but she's not living at the house. Mr. Rucastle said that she couldn't get along with her stepmother, so he sent her to America, to Philadelphia. And does Mrs. Rucastle strike you as a difficult woman to get along with? Oh, no, Mr. Holmes. She's shy and rather quiet. More than once I surprised her in tears. At first, I thought it might be worry over the disposition of her child. Mm, what's the matter with his disposition? Well, She's badly spoiled. He has an ungovernable temper. He seems to take great delight in torturing birds and small animals. Pleasant little beast. And the rest of the household? There's only one servant. Taller is his name. A rough, uncouth man with a perpetual smell of drink about him. I was thinking, I don't know. Except perhaps because he's the only one who can manage Carlo. Carlo? Yes. Carlos is two underfed masters that kept staying in the stables during the day, but at night they let him out. It's a terrible beast. Even Mr. Rucastle is afraid of him. I'm sure he'd carry any practice with a brick. Hmm. I wonder why Mr. Rucastle desires such ferocious protection. Um, well, I don't know, unless... Unless there's something on the top floor of the West Wing that he wants to protect. The West Wing, eh? Yes, the door that leads into it is opposite my room, and it's kept securely locked. Yes, it looks nasty to me, huh? Uh, please, Watson, please, don't be right. Well, the second day after my arrival, immediately after breakfast, Mr. Rootcastle asked me to put on a dress which had been laid out for me on my bed. Uh, what was it like? Well, it wasn't a new dress, Mr. Holmes, but the material was excellent and of a particularly brilliant shade, and electric blue. Oh, electric blue, John, so. I put it on and went down to the living room. Mr. Rootcastle had placed a chair for me by the front window. He asked me to sit there with my back to the window and to read to him from the French novel. Well, I read for an hour, and at the end of that time, he said I might go upstairs and change. Strange. Hmm, this experience has been repeated every morning since then. Well, as time passed, I became more and more curious. Why were they so careful to keep my face turned away from the window? Naturally, I was consumed with the desire to see what was going on behind my back. So today, I devised a means. 
Jim noticed at breakfast that Mr. Rukowski had had quite a few drinks. The happy thought seized me. My hand mirror had been broken, so I concealed a piece of it in my handkerchief and later in my book, feeling sure that Mr. Rukowski was too drunk to notice. Holding the book up, I was able to see everything behind me. And what did you see? Well, at first there was nothing. At the second glance, however, I saw a young man in a gray suit leaning against a railing which bordered our field. He was looking earnestly in my direction. Mr. Rucastle must have noticed my surprise, for he burst out angrily. Your attention must be wandering. That's the second time that you've made that passage. Oh. Furthermore, there's an impertinent fellow up the road who's staring at you. Is he a friend of yours? Oh, no, Mr. Rucastle. I don't know anyone around here. Well, I'm trying to turn around and motion him to go away. Oh, wouldn't it be better not to notice him? Do what I tell you. I really don't encourage you to have any followers. Very well, Mr. Rucastle. Where? Impertinent fellow. That will be all for this morning, Miss Hunter. You may go to your room. Oh, but, Mr. Rucastle, I hope you don't. Go to your room, my friend. Yes, sir. And after this, you need to to wear that blue dress. Oh, dear, what a frightful household. If I could only get away from here, it's also depressing. What? But he's left the key in the door to the rest of me. He must be gone. He must. I wonder what's inside. Oh, it wouldn't hurt to take just one look. Oh, how dark it is. Look at Wait. Three doors. Oh, the middle one is barred at the end of an old iron bedstead. I wonder why. Oh, but Mr. Pucky in here. What was that? Oh, it must have been a bell. Someone's in here. Or maybe it's something. I can't stand it. Here we are. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out. Oh, dear, that comes Mr. Rupert. What's this here? Oh, Mr. Rupert. Oh, you, then. I thought it must be when I saw the door open. Oh, I'm so frightened. Oh, my dear young lady, and what frightened you? Well, I was foolish enough to go into that place and wing, but it was so lonely and eerie, and, and a bat swooped down into my face. Is that all? Well, what else could that be? And why do you suppose that I keep that door locked? I'm sure I don't know. It's to keep people out who have no business there, you see. I'm sure if I'd known it. Well, you know now, my dear young lady. And if you ever put your foot over that threshold again, I'll throw you to the basket. <laughs> Dreadful experience. It's a home I feel sure there's someone locked in that room. Someone who's unhappy. God tortured. Oh, good heaven, it's almost five. I've come to be back by six. He's Mrs. Rucastle going out. If Mr. Rucastle should discover where I'd be. You've acted like a brave and sensible girl, Miss Hunter. Yes, indeed you have. Do you think you could do one more thing? I can try, Mr. Holmes. Dr. Watson and I will be at the Copper Beaches by seven. The Newcastles will be gone by that time, and I don't imagine the Mastiffs will be let loose until they return. Oh, no, Mr. Holmes. It would be too dangerous for them to get back to the house. Good. We will hope that Tola is still drunk. 
At any rate, you must get us into the house. We must explore the West Wing. I'll do my best, Mr. Holmes. Now I must hurry. Goodbye, gentlemen. Goodbye. Goodbye, Lieutenant. Well, my dear Holmes, what do you make of it all? Blue dress and a man in front of the house. Obviously, they've had someone, uh, had her impersonating someone. Someone young whose hair has been cut off during an illness. That someone is probably the person imprisoned in the West Wing. That is not the most sinister part of Miss Hunter's story. No? What is that? The unpleasant disposition of the child. Oh, what's that got to do with it? My dear Watson, as a medical man, you know that a child's tendencies can be discovered by a study of the parents. But heredity is a science to be worked backwards as well. You get a good insight into the character of the parents by studying the children. This child is cruel. Abnormally cruel. He's probably inherited from one of his parents. I only hope nothing serious happens before 7 o'clock tonight. Get 
There's no community like a Cenex community. And that's why every Cenex store is so proud to serve theirs by supporting local athletic teams, promoting the arts, and making sure each store is a place its neighbors can find what they need, catch up with their friends, and stay connected. It's also why we give back, helping to make the wonderful places we call home the best they can be. Your local Cenex doesn't just work in your town, it lives there. The store next door, powered locally at Cenex. 